Welcome to HUDCO Radio. I'm Jim Kennelly. Last month in his State of the County address, Hudson County Executive Tom DeGeese announced the creation of a new multi-agency task force focused on the problem of substance use in Hudson County. The task force will meet for the first time on April 8th. We'll talk first today with Doris Toon, Director of the County Department of Health and Human Services, and then with Frank Mazza, Deputy Director of Family Services, who deals every day with the fallout from the substance use crisis and will serve on the task force. Doris, thanks for joining us again. My pleasure. What's the mission of the Substance Use Task Force? Um, well, Jim, uh, ultimately, the um, task force um, was developed so that we can focus on decreasing substance use in Hudson County and ensuring that residents have access to services and recovery supports. Uh, in cases where there are service gaps, we want to be able to develop strategies for addressing those gaps. Uh, the task force is going to focus on developing a formal mission statement at our inaugural meeting. What was the, uh, the genesis of the task force? How did it come about? Okay, the county administrator attended a session during the um, New Jersey NJAC conference, I mm-hmm. believe it was, or it may have been the League of Municipalities, where um, representatives from Camden County talked about their task force, and he brought information back to us. So we took that information, we reviewed that information, and we assessed whether or not that was something that needed to be created here in Hudson County. Now, um, one of the other things that we noticed was that localities throughout the country, and we knew this beforehand too, but localities throughout the county or throughout the country are developing task forces to address the opioid epidemic. Um, Hudson County ranks 12th, ranks 10th, I'm sorry, out of the 21 counties as it relates to drug-related deaths, among other things. And in talking with colleagues from other counties, uh, we recognize that there is value in creating a forum for professionals to come together to share our collective expertise around the issue of substance abuse or substance use. What if you could talk about the composition of the membership and how did the nature of the problem you just described shape who ultimately was asked to join the task force? Well, the membership consists of people who encounter this issue from different perspectives. Uh, They are people from law enforcement, government leaders, including um, court personnel um, and medical representatives. All of the members have some involvement in the issue of substance use. The aim really is to strengthen our response to this issue by working collaboratively with other experts. Uh, We recognize that there are others in our county, including nonprofits and those with lived experiences, who could also offer insight on this topic. So there will be opportunities um, throughout the year for us to invite others to meetings to address the task force. So it's essentially an ongoing process in a sense that you're going to have these meetings, but you're going to look to build relationships from the task force. Absolutely. Could you talk a little bit about the um, work product that is described, the annual work product being a report um, in the executive order that created the task force? What is the this task force report going to be, if you know yet? We don't know what that report is going to look like yet. We'll be doing a lot of research. We'll be um, looking at other, at other best practices as well. Um, and we'll basically be assessing everything to see what 
works best for our county. And then ultimately, within a year of the first meeting, it's presented to the county executive for his review and then submitted to the Board of Freeholders. That's correct. How often does the task force meet? Um, uh, will they set their own rules? Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, the task force actually is going to meet quarterly. Okay. A first meeting, as you indicated, will take place on April 8th, uh, and we will establish a schedule of meetings uh, after that first meeting. Um, the first meeting is going to take place in the county executive's conference room. Um, and I have to tell you that we are really very grateful for the county executive's support and his leadership in creating this task force because it couldn't have happened without his support. Um, the task force will um, meet more frequently as or if necessary, too. Jim, in closing, one of the things I did want to mention, too, is that substance use or opioid addictions affects all of us. It impacts our communities overall. It affects families, children, neighbors, churches, and just communities throughout our county and throughout the country. So it is incumbent upon us to do something, and that's precisely what we're hoping to do through this task force, and that is to look at ways and um, strategies that we can employ within Hudson County to address this issue locally. Well, Darice Toon, Director of the Hudson County Department of Health and Human Services, thanks as always for joining us. You're welcome. Hudson County's Deputy Director of Family Services, Frank Mazza, joins us to talk about the nature of the substance use problem in our area and what has already worked here to combat it. Welcome, Frank. Thank you. Could you talk a little bit about the scope of the problem of substance use here in Hudson County? What are the public health, criminal justice, and broader financial price we pay for not addressing this issue more effectively? So that's a big question, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to answer it. But what we got to do is we sort of have to look at first. We'll just look at the statistics, right? So uh, everybody's heard that there's an opiate epidemic. <clears throat> it's an addiction issue that's out there, uh, and if we look at the statistics in Hudson County for the last three years. Uh, we're seeing that drug deaths are on the rise, right? So this is uh, 2018. We had 234 deaths uh, related to drug use, uh, as opposed to in 2016, where we had 187. So it's on an uptick, which is discouraging. Uh, it is definitely a uh, quality of life issue. It is a dollars and cents issue, right? So. Uh, I want to get into the history of New Jersey a little bit, and then we can uh, talk about what we can do currently. So uh, there's a thing called Medicaid, right? It's health insurance, and it is, uh, it is provided to people living below the poverty line. Uh, and the, the issue with Medicaid in the state of New Jersey before the Affordable Care Act was uh, if you were convicted of a possession conviction, or if you were convicted of a distribution conviction of narcotics, uh, you were banned from receiving health insurance through the government. So uh, <clears throat> to get into the details of that a little bit is, so if you had a possession conviction after 1996 for which you served six months on, you could only get Medicaid if you completed or enrolled in a residential substance abuse treatment program. But to be in a residential substance abuse program, you need to have health insurance. So it was sort of a <clears throat> double-edged sword. Catch-22. Yeah, catch-22. You just it, it was just too big of a barrier. 
And then the second issue was if you had the distribution conviction with the same variables attached, you were banned for life. You could not get health insurance. What we do know is health insurance is the adhesive that will stick this population to clinical interventions that have demonstrated uh, the ability to remove addictions issues, uh, work with somebody for the rest of their life because this is an illness, right? It's not curable. It's something that has to be treated for the rest of their life and it has to be managed and maintained. Uh, but it can't be done without health insurance because you'll never get attached to these clinical interventions for any prolonged period of time if you don't have health insurance. Now, what happened when the Affordable Care Act came is it removed all criteria to Medicaid. New Jersey expanded. Uh, so now the only criteria attached to eligibility for Medicaid is income. As a matter of fact, uh, they increased the amount of money you could make to still be eligible for Medicaid. So the entire population now is eligible for Medicaid. Uh, which means we have the adhesive uh, that will attach this population to, uh, <clears throat> to uh, clinical interventions. Uh, it's federal funds at 95%. The federal is paying uh, the Medicaid costs. So it's not state dollars and it's not costing the county uh, money. Uh, but it's just a tool, right? So uh, health insurance is just a tool. And the reason why we know health insurance is just a tool is because that period of time I just uh, talked about where drug deaths have been on the rise, <clears throat> that's been through the Affordable Care Act. So at the same time, the drug deaths are going up. We have seen an increase in the amount of people in Hudson County that now have health insurance. So before the Affordable Care Act, there was about 125 people that were uninsured in Hudson County. Uh, right now, there's 82,000, which means we're signing people up. We're using the Affordable Care Act. But what we do know uh, from looking at the drug deaths is it isn't as effective as we would like it to be when we're applying it to the addicted population. And what I would say to that is <clears throat> drug addiction is more than a clinical intervention. So uh, I know Doris talked about why this board has come together, and I want to get into why giving somebody Medicaid who's never had health insurance before is not the only answer. There is no magic wand to treating addiction, right? Addiction treatment is effective only when it's used in combination with other sort of interventions, right? So uh, <clears throat> what I tell people all the time when talking about drug addiction is that uh, achievement in the substance abuse uh, addicted population is it's relying on a uniform approach to health insurance, housing assistance, public assistance, healthcare navigation, and case management. <clears throat> Historically, uh, there's been a lack of a unified approach across all systems, as well as a clarity of need across all domains. It's the main reason for a lack of success in this population, right? So when you talk about the drug-addicted population, what you're talking about in large part is are homeless or chronically uh, homeless population. They live in areas that have a high police presence. A lot of times they have mental health disorders. A big portion of this population is the co-occurring population, mental health and addiction. Uh, so they're homeless, living in areas that have a high police presence. They're symptomatic because they're not in touch with the clinical systems uh, and they're using. So they're gonna bump up against frontline law enforcement. 
And when they bump up against frontline law enforcement, a lot of times the interaction is going to be negative, right? And this is the impact on our criminal justice system. Law enforcement doesn't, they don't have the clinical options, right? So you could go talk to a cop and a cop would say, I would love to take somebody whose negative behavior is motivated by illness to a clinical, uh, to a hospital, to any kind of clinical entity that can deal with the underlying issue for the behavior, but they just don't exist. So ultimately what they have to do is they have to, they have to react, they have to, they have to act on this, so they bring the person to the jail. So now what you've done is you've criminalized addiction and mental health disorder, right? So. So what I want to stop you there for, Frank, is, is that uh, some folks out there who may hear the term family services, yeah. um, and you as the deputy director, may think welfare or yeah. may think of job training, which are an element sort of of, of now what you do. But sure. I think what is interesting and maybe uh, that I wanted to kind of touch on a base on, on here with you is the fact that your understanding of this problem is a need to be integrated is because – your previous post with the county yeah. was directing the community reintegration program at yeah. the jail. Essentially, what the county did in the DGS administration was to bring the drug treatment and all these other integrated services inside that corrections facility that the policeman was dropping those folks off at. And that kind of informs your understanding of this problem. Yeah. So uh, t now, as you go forward, and as we discuss this, talk a little bit about your experience directing that program inside our county jail, the the uh, Corrections and Rehabilitation Center now, um, getting that up and running, dealing with those folks, and why hopefully it'll have some applicability to your work outside of the jail population as we go forward. So talk about that if you could. Well, so we're talking about county corrections. We're right. talking about people coming directly off of the street into a correctional environment, right? It's almost a triage center. Mm -hmm. People are coming in, actively using, high, need to detox, symptomatic, uh, and the sort of unique benefit of corrections is we can detox the population. They're we, not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. So here's what happens in the community. <clears throat> you have somebody who's in crisis. We have lots of community clinical providers. They are in crisis. They go into a clinical provider. The person sees them. They diagnose them based on how they see them in that moment. They patch them up. They sort of deal with the crisis, stabilize them, and then release them. Uh, and then they walk down the road. A few months later, they go back into crisis, they check into another place, and they get diagnosed again based on how they present, uh, and they get a new diagnosis. And this will happen until they <clears throat> decompensate to the point that the police get involved, and they'll come to the jail. What's happening in the community is they're being diagnosed based on their symptoms and not the underlying issue. What the jail can do is they can get somebody stable, and they can really get a look at the systemic cause for behavior, what illness is driving, right? And that's important because... Uh, you can put together a treatment regimen for that person that doesn't address the symptoms but rather addresses the underlying issue that's causing the behavior. And then what the jail has to do is recognize that it is not just a correctional facility. It is not just a punitive uh, sort of punitive agency. The jail is the de facto healthcare center for a huge portion of this population. And as such, it should align itself with the, the network of care in the community. So that information, that what we now know about the underlying issue of that person can be shared with these community health providers. So when the person does walk in crisis, you have an understanding of who that person is. You're not looking at the symptoms. So when we started the reentry program, what we looked to do is sort of redefine what corrections is, right? Corrections is a social service entity. Corrections is a clinical provider. Corrections is a hospital. 
But more importantly, you're talking about a population who have needs across all systems of public and, and private and all, all systems of support. They're a burden uh, across all of these systems of support. It is the coming together of every piece of government and every system of support in the community. And as such, <clears throat> corrections needs to be the unifying entity, right? So corrections can get this person stable and understand across the board. The person doesn't have housing, right? Medicaid is great. We gave everybody Medicaid. Now everybody... But the problem is you release them, you have them stable, you have them functioning at a high level, corrections did what it was supposed to do, uh, and they're treating the illness. You give them health insurance and you tell them to go continue this treatment in the community, but how are they going to comply with any clinical interventions if they're worrying about where they're going to sleep that night, right? Giving that person a pamphlet and saying, here are places that may be able to help you, right? We don't know what the criteria are, to get the housing, but they might be able to help you. You're on your own is wasted opportunity. You're missing, you're missing the boat. The person is stable. The person is in a state where they can really sort of achieve in the community. Uh, so what has to happen is corrections needs to understand that not only do they need to attach themselves to the systems, but they need to hold the systems accountable and they need to drive the housing systems, the case navigation systems. Uh, Corrections can play an important role. At the very least, corrections can educate the community on its population because corrections knows the population best. Well, let me just uh, jump in there because um, one of the things that's interesting, and we're going to have you back down the line when we have staff from uh, the uh, Division of uh, Community um, Development that yeah. handles our issues around surrounding homelessness. Yeah. And what is clear inside the jail and outside the jail, at least from what I've seen from presentations from them and from you, mm -hmm. is that ultimately uh, with their efforts on like on things like housing first, yep. that that stabilization of the individual, integration of these various services they need to get on their feet, is really the only successful way to approach this. Mm -hmm. And in the long run, it's cost effective because ultimately. The person isn't moving from crisis to crisis. Right. They're developing an they're developing a system that gives them the stability to get up off their feet, uh, you know, get up off the ground and kind of get on their feet and and start start again and, and to uh, to begin to live a productive life yeah. again outside of addiction, outside of the various issues that they may have related to um, mental health issues or other things. So I suppose now in your work in family services and then as part of the task force. I imagine that these lessons that you learned working in community reintegration are going to be ones that you'll look to further broaden and bring into our approach on dealing with substance abuse is that a, or substance use, I should say. Is, is that a fair, uh, a fair uh, analysis? Yeah. Uh, so in my new role as the deputy director uh, and armed with the success we had, the reentry program, uh, and uh, my understanding of how things like Medicaid and bringing systems together uh, – in combination with a larger population that I will be serving, right? It's not just focused on the criminal justice right. population. And that's not all who's addicted. And no. that's not all who needs help, right? Uh, I'm able to affect a larger portion of the population. For example, with reentry, we had a Medicaid outreach worker that would go to drug court. They would go to probation. They would go to all the criminal justice spots in Hudson County. And what they would do is sign the population up for Medicaid. Well, now we can expand that population. I have a bigger effort, right? I can go to our local federally qualified health care centers. I can go to our uh, intensive outpatient programs that are Division of Mental Health and Addiction certified 
uh, and sign this population that's seeking help up for Medicaid. And then we can take it a step past that, right? So there is no magic wand. The big buzzword right now is a thing called medication-assisted treatment. And there's medication-assisted treatments that uh, can stop you from getting high on heroin, for example. And you'll hear somebody say, uh, I have the greatest doctor in the world who's going to provide medication-assisted treatment, and they're going to, but that's missing the boat. You can't silo uh, treatment. There is no magic wand, no sort of silver bullet here. What you need is medication. Are you talking about uh, chemicals like uh, Vivitrol or something like that's that? That's exactly right. Yeah, right. And, and we use that in the right. jail. Right. It's, it's, it's an element, but it's not yeah. a complete process to help an individual get right. No, you have to build the population. You have It's a foundation, right? So housing is the foundation. Basic human need is the foundation, right? The medication-assisted treatment will only be as good as the supportive services. It's in combination with the supportive services. And I'm not just saying that. I'm saying that because if you look at the population that we provided medication-assisted treatment to in the jail, almost 100% who did not complete treatment and go into housing when they left came back to the jail. And nearly 100% who did get medication-assisted treatment uh, finished residential treatment in the jail, continued in the community, got housing, had a case manager. Those guys didn't go back to jail. And, so, those, and those beds yeah. cost... I'm not sure what our current number is, but the numbers you hear, the, the beds on an annualized basis for these places, you know, 24,000, 26,000 for a corrections environment because the, the requirements for security and the structure and everything else, that's a hell of a lot more expensive keeping someone at warehoused in jail who keeps coming back to the jail that's than right. someone who gets on their feet and gets an umbrella of programs that helps them move towards a sustained recovery. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're talking about – so. In my new role as the department, uh, the deputy director in the Department of Family Services that delivers housing and health insurance and case management and all these supportive services, uh, they'll increase the efficacy of drug treatment, right? So uh, drug treatment will be done by the clinical experts. Nobody is saying that, hey, we are the clinical experts. We're going to partner with the clinical experts and they're going to sit on this task force. Uh, and then we're going to say to them, whatever support you need to increase the efficacy of uh, of your intervention. We'll be here to provide. Uh, historically, the systems have been very disjointed. They've worked siloed. Uh, you know, medication assistant treatment is the magic wand. I'm going to provide that. And you sort of forget about all the other systems because they're not really talking to each other. So what this board will do uh, is... You're talking about now about the task force. Yeah, I'm talking about right. the task force. Right. Uh, and the Department of Family Services, what it brings to the task force. Right. Uh, so the task force uh, proposes a public-private partnership, which is going to link physical health, mental health, medication, inpatient and outpatient care with social housing and judiciary oversight. Uh, the board will clearly define patient needs and goals, and it will remove barriers to, to coordination among providers. Uh, I, I want to talk about the money thing because this is important. Go ahead. Uh, so generally what happens... Uh, and why it's – if you look at the critiques of the Affordable Care Act, you'll find that – and the insurance companies complain about it. You'll find that the most expensive population to deliver health care to uh, is the homeless, drug-addicted population. Uh, and here's why. So what insurance companies have is they sort of have a calculator and they put somebody's variables into that calculator. And what it tells them is what it should cost to cover them. What is happening is in this population is that it's way above what they anticipated. And the reason for that is, is because 
they're using our emergency rooms, and they're only using our emergency rooms when they're in crisis. So they all have <clears throat> issues. I mean, aside from the addiction, which is a chronic issue that needs uh, that they go into crisis quite a bit on. Uh, there's things like diabetes, heart disease, all these other chronic health issues. When you're using the emergency room only when in crisis, you're not routinely caring for your illness. So it's more expensive to care for an illness when uh, when you're in crisis. And the emergency room is not the primary care network, which means it's a lot more expensive. Uh, but what this board will do is bring primary health care providers to the table. It'll bring my case managers at the Department of Family Services to the table. And what we can do is we can navigate them. We'll have federally qualified health care centers at the table. So what happens immediately uh, and what this board can control and oversee is somebody who has chronic health issues, someone who has addictions issues. They get guided by this board. So they're, they're given Medicaid and then they're taught the appropriate way to use Medicaid. They're tapped into the primary health care network immediately. They're taught how to routinely deal with their health issues. So they'll check into the primary health care network routinely to make sure that they don't go in crisis. And that'll do two things. It'll drive down the cost of delivering health care and it'll increase the level of care provided to this population. So what you're doing essentially is you're using health insurance in a responsible way. You're driving down the cost to the taxpayer to deliver that health insurance, and you're increasing the quality of care to the individual most in need of quality care. Uh, and the reason why it doesn't happen, because there are no task force that bring together these siloed sort of entities that have been disjointed historically. And, you know, uh, for that reason, I'm optimistic that we can get to a point where we can get a handle on the addiction issue in this county. Well, it's pretty clear that in your experience within the Corrections and Rehabilitation Center, that name changed from jail two years ago to reflect the mission of the jail, that because you kept seeing the same familiar faces through recidivism, over time, a plan could be developed. And now it seems as though that integrated approach, we hope, through the task force can be grown across our efforts for everyone yeah. who may deal with this problem. Is that yeah. a fair description? I, I think that's exactly right. We can okay. expand clinical services. Maybe we decriminalize illness a little bit. The jail becomes less of an answer. Uh, and what the task force does is it brings all the people together that have the ability to change these things. Well, Frank Mazza, Deputy Director of Family Services for Hudson County, thank you today for joining us. We'll look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you. You can learn more about the task force on our website, HudsonCountyNJ.org. To keep up with its proposals, follow us on Twitter at HudcoTweet at Twitter.com. Thanks, as always, to County Executive Tom DeGees and the Board of Chosen Freeholders, who sponsor, support, and direct all of the programs and services discussed on this podcast. Take care.